Welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to unlocking human potential and living a life of high performance. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Give Yourself a Chat podcast. Uh, an, another episode, another fabulous guest. Uh, I've got a friend of mine, uh, Rob Shenton, with me. Um, Rob and I, um, we're both ex-military, but our military careers didn't cross over that much, even though we served in the, in the same corps, the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers. And, and I've just been chatting with Rob off air. And um, I'm, Rob, I'm going to kind of kick off here. You said you had <laughs> recently the opportunity to record a single with John, well, with with Bon Jovi at Abbey Road. Um, that we're going to jump off on that with Rob. Um, hello, nice to see you. But tell me about what was going on there. Hi. Um, yeah, that was that was really random. So I'm in the um, Invictus Games Choir, which is also the Help for Heroes Choir. It's a choir for the Invictus Games, ran by Help for Heroes, and um, we do several things. <clears throat> it's a recovery activity, actually, for people who've been. Uh, discharged or still serving in the military who are wounded, injured and sick, uh, which I come into that category, which I'm sure we might talk on later. And um, uh, and anyhow, we do, we, we sing for our, as part of our recovery. And I must say, singing is probably one of the best things I've done um, outside of running and physical activity. It's just such an emotional release. And anyhow, so many things happen. We we sang last year at the Invictus Games Trials opening ceremony in Sheffield with people like Heather Small, Alfie Bow, Suggs, Laura White, Wright, wow. who's a, a lovely opera singer. She's beautiful. And um, and, um, we, and and anyhow, this year there was something. It was it was viewed as top secret in the uh, Invictus calendar. Yeah. And I was looking because it was during the week. Obviously, I work, and um, and I, I, I just thought, I can't afford the time for this and I don't know what it is. So I don't know whether it's going to be worth me sacrificing leave or, or whatever. And uh, just a f- and so I turned it down. And then just a few weeks before or week before, they said, this is what it is. And it was it was singing a song called Unbroken for the Invictus yeah. Games Foundation, which John Bon Jovi had written. And it was at Abbey Road. And I thought, oh, crikey, I've really messed up there. I should have oh, done that. No. It was amazing i mean the, the the stuff the feedback from the choir yeah what they did i mean you just i mean we're all one family it's a choir family and yeah. even though many of us weren't there because it was only a small portion of the choir about, about 60 strong and it was probably about 15 20 people um yeah it was amazing and bon jovi totally amazing bloke um his parents were both uh u.s marines um oh, so, so- Strong connection, strong yeah. connection with the military community there. And I know you've been heavily involved um, with Help for Heroes and Invictus. Uh, uh, didn't you go for a, a trial for the Invictus Games? Um, yeah, so um, so I'm a runner. Um, I, 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 almost a reluctant runner. But um, I, I moved into ultramarathons um, many years ago um, because uh, I was trying to... I set myself a target because my father... Uh, unfortunately passed away from lung cancer and yeah. um and i said look when i'm breathless i'll make my breath count and and i will raise money for charity so i, I pick i'm sure we'll touch on it later but yeah it's highest and coldest foot races in the world to do um however you know um an offer came along that said would you like to run at the invictus games because i qualify for it and uh i thought yeah okay I'll, I'll do that and the longest distance they run is 1500 meters so i went from ultra distance down to the track 
and literally it was like a seven minute sprint when I started out. And I was thinking, I'll never do this. Yeah. yeah. But I have to say, um, through the English Athletic, the Athletic Clubs and, and their run, uh, talk things, movement for mental health, and the way the coaches work, and this is grassroots sports, uh, I've really enjoyed it. And so I, I ran at the Invictus Games trials last year. I would say, unfortunately, I wasn't selected, but actually, the even though I came second in the 1500 meter, my my category, um, uh, the selection is based on what you get out of it as part of your recovery journey. Mm. And so really, it's probably because I already got quite a lot out of sport. And, and yeah. so it was limited in what they could give me, but there was more, more far deserving people who were playing. Uh, but that was, again, after sang at the Invictus Games Choir the night before and then the next day on the track and it was just full of emotions and and, and amazing. I would dare say probably the best two days of my life. Amazing. And and just the impact that Invictus has had, uh, you know, in, in people's recovery, um, not only, you know, your recovery, but the recovery of the, the other athletes. It's absolute inspiration. You. So uh, you mentioned, Rob, um, the, the sort of terms wounded, injured, uh, or sick, and, and how you fall um, under that category. Um, as much as you're willing to, would, would you mind sort of sharing the, the, the story behind that with us? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I spent 25 years in the army, uh, 21 years in the regular army, and in, in the same cap badge as, as yourself, um, and before that, four years in the reserves. And um, I. Um, kept a secret early on in my career um, from around about 2000. I was having problems with my mental health. So I initially kept quiet about it, but because of my personal makeup and things, these problems kept on recurring. So every few years, I'd have to go and see a doctor and see a specialist and and, and get some treatment of some sort. It really came to a head in um, uh, towards the end of my military career, and I ended up uh, in a, uh, a mental hospital as a result. Um, and so from that, um, I ended up being medically discharged a few years later in September 2016. Um, and basically my diagnosis is I have recurrent depression. And the, the issue with recurrent depression is obviously it recurs. So I have to really monitor my well-being in terms of the basics in my life that, that help me. So food, physical activity and sleep. Art and, and numerous other things and then if I if I get those wrong I can have a lapse and a lapse is fine I just look at myself and say okay what did you not do right kick myself and then adjust it and carry on but a relapse is more where we have to ring a line or even at worst 999 and get me some rapid help and um, it's essentially like living with a time bomb and, and certainly there's been two significant relapses in the last few years but again I, I just keep on and I'm able to to carry on with sort of like the ideas and the principles that I have of looking at are at Touchwood it's worked it's worked very well so I mean thank you very much for, for sharing this so the as somebody who suffers with depression um to a degree myself but it, it sounds not not necessarily to the the severity that you do I'm always interested. Well, one, yeah, having the courage to talk about these things, I, I know helps, you know, and we've engaged on this conversation uh, before. But 
you, you strike me, well, the evidence suggests you do far more than just talking about it, which that is part of some of your activities. I know you do a lot of presentations of this. And, and I actually remember getting you into one of my clients in, in the games industry and, and talking during sort of mental health week. But um, off air, you refer to yourself in, and I think in a sort of self-deprecating way, as a mental health ambassador. But um, there, <laughs> there was a, a little bit of embarrassment about that term. What, what, was, what was going on there? Is that, do you see yourself, do you see yourself as an ambassador as, and, and as, do you see your uh, means of paying it forward a way of, of helping yourself as well as others? Yeah, mo- most certainly. I mean, I do, see myself as an ambassador initially um health heroes asked me to be an ambassador for their charity and, and with they with the way they help me and they help all people who are leaving the military who are um being medically discharged uh, they step in and, and all those who are serving who are, have, have uh, medical issues they'll they'll help as well so first of all i was an ambassador for those but then when i started in my role um outside the military i i realized well very early on i even did it in the military that that actually talking about it really helped and it, it helped me yeah it obviously helped me but also the way i convey it and get it across in terms of trying to get across certain principles of how i look after myself that might help other people helped me understand myself and you know einstein said peace can't be achieved by force it can only be achieved by understanding and i'm a massively strong strong believer in that saying so what I did at work was in order to gain some traction initially, um, I said, look, I'm for, for where I work. I said, look, I'm the mental health ambassador. I'm a mental health champion. Um, and, um, and, and that stuck. And, and luckily that the, the senior uh, policy people and, and human resources people at work have latched onto that. And now I go around different departments and do presentations and I can do it. In, in work time, which is great because they see the benefit of it. And and so in a way, I, I feel I am paying it forward, but I feel it's an obligation to do that because I simply don't want anyone else to go through this. And, and you know, we, we, we touched on the military and, and actually the, the truth is when, when we join the military, values and standards are embedded into us when we join but also there's elements which are which stick with us which is why we got selected to do the roles that we did mm. and and the motto of Sandhurst would serve to lead and I strongly believe in that I strongly believe that as someone who's been a leader someone who's led people soldiers military civilian then it's my it's my need my requirement to stand up and open up about certain things uh, because I have to set the example uh, and it's I'm not trying to be big headed about that, but it's 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 embedded in me, and that's what I believe. Yeah, and I I think the demonstration of your own vulnerability actually is one of the the sort of greatest strengths a leader can have because it takes courage to do that, but but in doing so, there's the invitation for others to talk about their struggles as well and for them to have the courage to to talk about it so it's i i think it's what you're doing is very much allied to that serve to lead others but you're going first in demonstrating you're vulnerable enough but courageous enough to talk about your own struggles and in doing so then invite others to to do likewise and it's certainly over the last few years and and you're closer to this than i am but this acceptance or the the willingness to talk about this 
um, and displayed at the, at the highest levels. You know, I know you've been involved with the Invictus community and, you know, the, the members of, you know, particularly Prince Harry kind of leading the way on that and showing actually it, it is okay to talk about this. But, uh, and, I, and I know from my own struggles that talking about it certainly helps, but you've also found that that your running and your pursuit of running has helped you. So I'd, I'd really like to talk about some of the strategies that you've used to, to help yourself, which you then form the basis of your talks around. Let, let, let's go to kind of the, the love and running. And what is it about running or the pursuit of, of running that has helped you, Rob? I think the main thing is initially, as I mentioned before, I, I set out when my father passed away of, of doing the toughest, highest and coldest foot races in the world. And, and, and those, although I think there's much debate about if they are the toughest, highest, coldest, the ones that I did were, were the marathon desarbs, the 155 miles across the desert, six days, carrying all your kit, the Everest marathon, where you'd start at 5,200 meters and 50% less oxygen than the sea level. And then finally, the North Pole Marathon, which certainly isn't the coldest, but I figured when I finished, I'd be on top of the world. So why not yeah. be on top of the world when you're doing it? Yeah. Um, and, and, and each of those taught me something about myself. And the first one was the, was the Marathon de Sars because the sheer training and time, as you know from doing Ironman, the, the sheer training and time to commit to something that large is phenomenal. Yeah. Particularly if you've got a family and you've got a life life outside training and a job and things like that. And so I, I, I learned early on with that one that I had to work out what I needed as a human being to exist. And so that one was basically simple. And it's almost Maslow. It was food, is physical activity and sleep. I had to get the balance right. I had to eat the yeah. right foods. I had to sleep enough. And I had to do an, the right amount of fizz without destroying myself. Yes. So that was from the one from the Marathon de Sarbs. Then each of the other marathons. Um, I, I got another three tips from each of them, really, and, and but it took a lot of searching to get that way. And and had I mean, being an ex-soldier, you know, it's it's part and parcel of our our makeup and our our day job to keep ourselves uh, fit. But did did depression bring you to running, or uh, was it something that was always there that that you that you pursued, but you just then found a a, a different outlet for it yeah. running has always been there like like in the military you know we 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 have to stay fit and and you know it's I really admit this but i still say being in the army for me was the best job in the world um and uh, and and they fit and it's such a variety but the fit running was always in the backdrop however i really lost my love of running um around about 2016 and by that time i'd done the marathon de Sables and the everest marathon and i had one more challenge left but i hadn't really focused on it or even looked at it honest um and a friend of mine said and this was just after i left the army because I'd, I'd really hit a low and he said run every day for 30 days mm. just just try that and i did and i didn't stop um, um, and now I've, i'm up to about 1300 plus days and i still run every day Wow. I know that's ludicrous when you're thinking of professional training or, or sensible training levels, but I'm listening to my body. So I'm understanding myself more. You know, I know if I've had a tough run the day before, which yeah. in some cases could be a 56 mile run um, because I've done an event or something the next day 
I'm probably going to jog 30. I'm probably going to jog for half a mile or a mile at that. Just, just rid of the aches and the pains and, and yeah. start the day. Um, so, so that for me has really increased my love of running. And I think, you know, there's two other, there's two other things that I learned from running, which I'll briefly mention or, or, yeah, or I might sure. get them. Um, so the first one was on the Everest marathon. The Everest marathon was just after I came out of hospital. Um, well, a few months after I came out of hospital and I, I will openly admit that I tried to save my life. Um, and I worked closely with the doctors then. And the one thing to drop out of it was I wasn't looking after my emotional regulation system. And there's three yeah. principles to that, and that's threat, drive, and soothe. Our lives are constantly ran in the threat and drive level, and we very rarely look after ourselves on the whether it's taking that long bath or not necessarily running, but having that cup of tea and focusing and just re- reflecting on what you've done and, and taking time out to do what you, you would like. Um, and the final thing that was on the North Pole Marathon, and that's because I'd met a civilian, started a new job, and I really doubted my confidence. And, and, and when I do that, when I get into that level, rumination is so difficult. With I was, There's something called think, feel, do. And if mm. you think you're rubbish, you're going to feel rubbish. Mm. And then you're going to confirm that and do things just to confirm that. So I probably deliberately sabotage myself and not run or something like that. So mm. they're the three things. But but running has given me so much. Uh, and I'm so grateful that I can still run. Uh, and now it's just a matter of preserving the running into into, into longevity. Yeah. And yeah, but that... that l- the number of days that you've consistently run it's i take my hat off to you because I, I, as we're recording this episode i'm sat here feeling sorry for myself with a bit of an injury which means i'm going out walking but not running so i, I know how precious the the ability to do that every day but that that think feel do sort of cycle is is an interesting one i'd like to kind of dig into a little bit further there because it strikes me that yeah that if you're thinking it and doing it reinforces either negative behavior but equally you can use that same cycle to reinforce positive behavior so it's about how much do you sort of catch yourself doing it and being aware in the moment of what's going on you talked about previously about lapses and relapses and you know that on the on one level you know if it's a bit of a lapse you give yourself the chat almost and can dig yourself out of it. But then if you let it go too long, it could dangerously go go the other way. So how much of it is about really um, understanding the triggers for for, for you and, and then managing that? Let's kind of unpack that a little bit, Rob, please. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, and something that has been in my mind a long time, for the most recent rather, for, for quite a while. Um, so the triggers are really important to me. And um, so I've been in therapy on and off since 2000. And actually, for the last eight years, through the military, the NHS, and civilian side and charity side, I've been in therapy sort constantly for years. And although I'll never be cured or fixed in depression, you know, not cured is the wrong word, but depression is going to be part of my life and I need to be aware of it or mental illness is going to be part of my life. I've done a lot of work to try and move away from those therapists, uh, therapists and understand my triggers. So I have a little sheet now uh, that he's rapidly looking around his office trying to find. Got it. Um, um, and um, this little sheet is is basically what I do. And I, I've, I've labelled it in the basics, the bank, the human. 
and the basics, as I mentioned, the food, fizz and sleep. And, and I'm aware of, of a Fitbit or a wearable and I monitor my sleep. I mean, anyone who's, who does any form of exercise or fitness and takes it vaguely seriously will have something like that. And they will be looking at their pulse rate going, oh, my average pulse rate has dropped. So I look at that as well. And it's like, if you warning, if you're ill as well, because you know as much as me that, you know, if your pulse rate is high one day, you, you're probably about to get a cold or you're probably about to come down with something. So that says, right, I probably can still train, but I need to ease off, maybe mm. not. Um, so for me, the basics the, the uh, are food, fizz and sleep that I've mentioned. Then the, the bank side is the, the threat, drive and soothe, and I, I need to look at my truth there. So how am I feeling at work? am i working under threat because i'm in a new environment at the moment or something like that or new people in and they're really good and really keen so it's making me up my game game which is great and fine and natural and then the drive you know am i pushing myself because i want that promotion or I, I want that recognition and then what am i doing to replenish those threatened drive banks with how am i looking after myself and stuff and then finally i'm thinking of the, the human side again and and drive and two and, and it's uh, sorry think feel do and how am i actually so that's where you reflect and you go what am i actually am i thinking i'm rubbish how is and exactly as you touched on what is my confidence am i confident at the moment am i not confident if i'm not confident i'm going why am i not confident well okay this is happening and if i'm not confident i'm probably going to start ruminating and feeling not confident and therefore, I'm going to say, well, I don't want to do this at work or I don't want to do that because I don't think I'm good enough. Mm. But actually, the truth is, if you talk yourself up as any good coach, will, um, you know, and, and that's why I say I learn a lot because I have a, a running coach now through English. Brilliant. And that's grassroots stuff. You know, it costs you just um, they talk you up and and that improves your confidence. And and I and you we learn we can learn so much from sport. Um, you know, I can't speak highly of it. And my coach, Don, who from Southampton Athletics is absolutely superb. He's he's one of the top people uh that I've met and and really talks you up. And he has about 30 uh, athletes. Yeah. Yeah, during one session pre-COVID, he would talk to every single one of them during a session, could be for a few minutes. And you can almost see them lifting up after they've spoken to him. He said something and said, that was really good. Your form was good and so on. Focusing on the positive. And, and that's one thing we forget with depression. We don't, you know, we, 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 if one of my things, one of my basic things on depression is surround yourself with positive people. If you're in a negative environment and you're a depressive, to change mm. is not going to yeah. help you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. There's that. Yeah, surrounding yourself with people that can support you and lift you. But there's also the, the element in what you're talking about there of just be, becoming aware and using either that checklist or words or phrases that, that kind of help kind of give a, give a level of abstraction from what you're feeling at the time in order to then sort of make a, make a choice. So I, I find that whenever I have a sort of lapse, I find myself almost like I've gone too far into it. And I, I you know, and when it's at its worst, I'm, I'm sat at the kitchen table with my head in my hands thinking, I know if I went for a run, I would feel so much better, but I can't even be bothered to go for a run. And that's the perverse thing about depression is that you know exactly what will work, but you're so far into it 
that you can't even bring yourself to do what you know will work. And it's, it's a real, real kind of challenge there. So what I found is that for me, it's, it's less about a sort of checklist, but it's more about the daily routines I have. And, and if I go for a day or two without putting that routine, and when I talk about routine, it's just, you know, rising to do my stretching and my, my journaling and whatever. If I have missed that for a couple of days, then I know it's going to land me in, in bother. So now I've got things that I know if I'm doing this every day, I've got a better than average chance of keeping it at bay. Um, but I think you, we, we, need, we need to find things that allow us to do that. And you've got your words, your checklists and everything else like this. It could be a coach that and positive people. But I think there needs to be things external to ourselves because trying to manage this all internally, hence back to that piece around talking about it, you know, you're going to struggle and it's nigh on impossible, I feel. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, we're, I don't know whether it's the military or the cat badge, but we're very similar in that respect. Routine is important. And during lockdown, routine saved me. Um, I'm not saying I was in a bad way. Actually, lockdown has been really good for me because it's got rid of that chaff from my life, whether that be commuting on a train to London yeah. And now I don't need to do that. I can, do it. I can work from home. So I'm straight in and the time during the day, the laptop's closed and right, I don't have to travel. I don't have to spend two hours on a train now and I've got more time to train, more time to cook or whatever, which is great. But the routine's important. And in a way, you know, I, I feel for you when you say you, 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 you know, if you go out for a run and your head's in your hands, you know, I've been in the position where it's taken an hour or two just to put my running socks on. Mm. Um, and yet I know when I do that. So routine almost tricks me because if I know the first thing I do when I get up is have a cup of tea and then go for a run, then by the time my body's actually woken up, I've done the run. Um, um, yeah. And so that's out of the way and done. And it's great to worry about that. But I realized I had um, had quite a serious lapse in March. Um, and and I, what I'd done was I, I was I woke up one morning, been busy all week, doing the best I could with with what I was doing and um I've been busy all week and I woke up and I was dog tired and I ignored it mm. and two hours later I was I was an absolute wreck in my car crying wishing I wasn't in the world and yeah. and it was like what did I do wrong this was a this wasn't a relapse this was a serious lapse it wasn't quite as bad but it was awful um and and what did I do wrong and then I looked at my fit my Fitbit and I realized I hadn't been sleeping very well. And I'm thinking, right, you idiot, you should have just stayed in bed or written the day off. Because my employers are very good and they'll go, if I ring them up and say, just need to take this day off or leave or whatever, and they'll they'll work for it because they know that's how I can work and how they get the best out of me. Um, but it was just not paying attention and just letting that lap that that just really and that yeah. was a problem number and i um you know, that that just paying attention so it, it a lot of these things sound really kind of small or insignificant in and of themselves but the the habit around paying attention to the indicators bit your fitbit or whatever it might be or mean skipping the routine actually really really helps and it's a really small thing that's really helped me and and, I, and my coach um during lockdown we, we were talking about a particular episode i had a few weeks back where you know had a good run of mental health form if you like and then it all came crashing down for four days 
he said, you know, how about this? It's just a, a little idea to latch onto every morning is that as soon as you wake up, just lie there and be grateful for the fact that you woke up this morning. Um, because there's many people in this world that don't. And, and it sounded such a, a silly thing, but consistently now for the last four weeks, I've woken up and the very first thought, initially I had to remind myself to think, oh, I'm grateful for literally waking up. But now I do it because it's a habit automatically. And it's the most wonderful way to wake up. And yet it's the most simple thing you can do. And little things like that just pattern interrupt any fog that you might wake up into. And it gives you that the door is then ajar to make a choice about how we feel and well, how we think and then how we feel and then how, what we do. So, yeah, I, I'm a big one of that one. But I think you have to you have to almost like develop habits around this to spot the triggers and then intervene. And I think self-intervention is, is key because, you know, you're the first person that's going to realize that. And, and whilst others around us can help, it really is how can we self-help? And it's, uh, I, was in, I was really struck by this notion that you, you, you're, you're never so cured in inverted commas. You're, you're going to live with this for the rest of, of your life. That's, that's an interesting one. I've never really kind of pondered that. Um, I mean, I presume you believe that's true. Is, is that sort of clinically true or is it just something that we have to accept? I don't know if it's clinically true, but um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset that I've, I have had, have depression to varying degrees. I'm not upset about having uh, mental illness. Um, I now, well, I was upset, but now I think that's part of the life, my life and part of what it's made me. And, and I think also, you know, you read books about Churchill had a depression and he called it the black dog. Yeah. It was always with him and it was always following him around. And I think, I don't think there's a black dog following me around. I think it's way off in the distance, but I think if I called, it would probably come, come to me. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if I had a dog, it wouldn't be as obedient. Um, but uh, I just pat it on the head all the time. Um, but um, but I do think um, I do think it's something that we just have to keep at bay. I think we we've we've all got we're, we're, we've all got some something inside of us to do to do with mental health and well-being, and it's just how we manage our well-being. Um, I think, um, but that's why I think it's so important to look after yourself and and give yourself the time. You know, we all need to be loved. And even in the first thing you've got to learn is is love yourself. Yeah. Um, and if you don't love yourself, um, then and 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 there's no one else. Who else is going to do it? I know it sounds a bit deep that, but it's it's you look after yourself first. It's like the principles of first aid. Don't become a casualty. You know, make sure make sure you're safe before you go on the scene, sort of thing. And it's the same thing with with yourself. You know, look after yourself first with with, yeah. with well being, so to speak. Yeah, and and I'm struck by the the fact that actually, all of us, you know, all of us have mental health. It's to what degree do we struggle with health, like physical health? You know, we all have a a, a health, but some of us are healthier, more vibrant than others physically. Then, and so I think we have to accept that mental health is what we all have, and therefore being guardian of that and and preserving that and nurturing it as best we can. Um, I think it's really important. I think the fact that you've just raised this idea of looking after ourselves, again, the greatest service that we can do, not only ourselves, but others, if we're leaders or if we're in a team environment, 
is, as I've used this metaphor on this podcast before, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. Because if you are not able to, to, to look after yourself or help yourself, then you're never going to be of service to others. So I think the, the greatest service to self and to others is in, in looking after ourselves. And, and, and for, for many of us, that's talking about it. It's for many of us, it's habits or routines, but I think all of us have a duty to self to, to, to preserve this, this, this very fragile thing, which is health in the round, but particularly around mental health. Um, I, I totally agree. I mean, one of the reasons which drove me to own up that I had a problem with my mental health, which was actually mental illness. And I think there is a divide between both. Everybody has mental health. It's unfortunate that some people turn into a recognized mental illness. But I think it's my attitude was, look, I, I'm a leader of, of people um, as it being in the military as an officer. And, and I thought I can't afford to have a problem. I need to be at the top of my game. So I need to try and get this fixed. And it's almost as if, you know, these hands are in charge of a lot of things and a lot of people in these hands can't afford this. Um, and so I had to do it because I love the people that I commanded. Um, mm. Sounds a bit odd, but I think you can all latch onto that. It, you have to love your soldiers. Um, and, and I think the other thing that you mentioned is about mental health. And, and I, I think we should be turning the conversation on mental health in the same way that we do about physical fitness, and we should call it physical, mental fitness. Mm. We, if we are on the start line of a race or, or we're at a training session and people say, how is it? Or, and we'll easily go, oh, I tore my calf last week and I've been getting a bit of physio on it and sort of thing. And so we need to start thinking about mental fitness in terms of, you know, what am I doing? It's okay if you've got a physical injury to go and see a doctor, it's okay to get physio, it's okay to get therapy and so on. So we need to make it okay that if we've got a mental health issue, that we go and see a doctor, we go and see a specialist, go and get uh, some therapy of sort of much like, but also how we maintain that in ourselves and doing the self-help first before we get into that, help prevent us getting to that stage. So I'm a strong believer in to calling it mental fitness. Um, and, and not necessarily mental health, is that will hopefully change the attitude to it. And, and we all talk about physical fitness and physical injuries, so I think we should be talking about mental fitness Well, I, mental injuries. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And if, if anything, this podcast is all about mental fitness and the, the ability to, to, to live at a, at a level of vibrancy and health and service as best we can. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, taking away, it's almost like uh, I'd say the stigma is removed from it's being removed from mental health, but actually calling it mental fitness. It is a core component of the, of the pillars of health uh, alongside physical and dietary and, 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 you know, this element of being at peace with ourselves is, is, is a, is a pillar of health and, and calling it mental fitness. I, I love that. Um, it, it's absolutely bang on the money as far as what we're trying to do here on give yourself the chat. Um, well, Rob, we've, we're coming to the end of our time now. I just want to, I know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll chat again at some point, uh, down the road, um, uh, on this subject, because there's, there's so much I'd love to explore with you around, uh, your, your marathon exploits and, and the next thing coming up. Um, but I just want to thank you very much for your time today, uh, and, and just bringing a, a level of honesty and, and candor to, um, to our chat. And, uh, 
and hopefully you're not going to live with too much regret not having met John Bon Jovi and Abbey Wood that time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And thank you for what you do. I think this podcast is is is, is great and, and really is a, a shining example of it back. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. really enjoyed this episode always loved chatting to rob i think he's got a great outlook on life and despite the challenges he's facing uh, the service and paying it forward as an ambassador for mental fitness and I, I don't just love that term it's 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 so much better than mental health which i think still has a stigma about it even though it is being removed but talking about fitness it is a core component of our health and and i have to say that um, when we recorded this episode a few weeks back the very next day rob was involved in a bicycle accident he suffered multiple fractures to his upper and thoracic spine and and has been hospitalized since and i know um, rob you're listening to this so uh, myself and the listeners send you all the best for your recovery i know you are recovering well you're itching to get out there and back out and running uh, but even from your hospital bed you're providing a source of inspiration to to those that you are in the service of so so thank you very much but um make a speedy recovery and we'll certainly have you back on this podcast to perhaps talk about the accident and, and how you're dealing with it from a mental standpoint um for those of you that are interested in picking up the conversation further, please check out my website, peterlewiscoaching.com. Get in touch, um, suggest topics or guests that you would like to feature on this podcast. But for the time being, thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.